Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon from lead pastor Jamie Miller. How's everybody doing? It's good to, good to worship today and be together. It's good to hear that exhortation from uh, Jim Reynolds for communion. And uh, man, I just, the presence of God was just powerful in all of that. He's with us. And uh, just praying for uh, this word. I'm, I'm excited about this word I'm sharing today because it really covers a lot of ground. I'm going to cover about 2,000 years of church history. And uh, so just, uh, just shooting for the stars. You know, I think we can, hopefully we'll hit the top of the fence post, but it's good to aim high, you know, is how I like to say that, I'm just kidding. Thank you, Graydon, for preaching last week, just did a great job, uh, sitting there listening to him and just thinking, you know, we do this together, you know, there's, we cultivate a place for people to, you know, hear together and we hear better together. Actually, that's the way God's designed it, and it's just listening to him and appreciating what you were saying about theological imagina- imagination. Like, we need that. We, we need that word uh, for us. And it's important to see, for us to imagine what he was sharing about what's happening in the New Testament through Paul's understanding, that theological imagination of bringing all the scriptures together on the other side of Jesus Christ being raised from the dead, declared with power through the resurrection from the dead, that he is the true king and the Lord of the world and the universe. He reigns. He's, he's reigning right now. you know, And that's why even in the early church, he's reigning right now. And so they couldn't declare that Caesar was the king instead of Jesus. And they would die rather than confess Caesar as Lord over Jesus. You know, it's just, uh, we're going to talk about some of that, I just, that wasn't in my notes, but it just changes everything. It changes everything. It changed everything for the first church. It changed everything for the ancient church. And it changes everything for the modern church. That's, that's us right now, whatever, uh, you know, 2022. Um, I've been year challenged in the past, but I'm on it today. The, the, beauty, of the, the beauty of the church is our relationship with Jesus in our relationship with each other and participating in the plan of Jesus to just make things right in the world, to share the gospel, to connect justice and the church together and life and love and practical help and hospitality and serving. Um, and I'm just gonna say, you guys, I think you know this, but in this message, I want you to hear my own love for the church. Um, Michael was just praying for me a minute ago that that love would come out. May it come out. May it shine out today. Lord, I just even ask right now, Lord, anointing for this bit of ministry right here before me. Fill me again, Lord, with your, your love for your people, your love, your, your plan, your incredible plan. And so in the name of Jesus. Um, and so today we're, we're, we're kind of transitioning. We've kind of gone from the story we find ourselves in and we're in this transition. Kim had a, a word that is actually finding ourselves in God's story is gonna fuel the summer series. And so Graydon brought this word on, on the early church and then I'm today talking about finding our church, our, us, Antioch, Fort, Fort Worth, 
us, what was formerly Christ Fellowship, now Antioch Fort Worth, us finding ourselves as a church in that story. And it's not the whole, the whole could only be comprehended if everybody could share all the things that you see and somehow we could know that all together, but the fullness really is here together. So I'm sharing a part of it because it's a part of my journey and, and it's our journey together and I'm a voice for a lot of that, but, but I'm excited about this. We started and we had a motto verse back when we started, Acts 13, 36. It says, David served God's purpose and then he died. And that was us. <laughs> Just we wanted to serve the purpose of God. And so under Christ's fellowship, all of our documents and everything, it would say serving God's purpose in our generation. And I'm just, I'm, I'm still in on that, man. And there's lots of more generations than there were back then, but I'm in on that. And Ephesians 3, 20, 21, that Kim read earlier a couple weeks ago, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all the generations forever and ever. We're in one of the generations. You are one of the generations that is destined to answer that prayer. And so it's good to imagine. Now, we can't, we can't fully imagine it, you know, because it's prom the Bible, the Bible tells me so, that I can't fully imagine it, but I'm, I'm called to try, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm in on trying and, and going, Lord, wow, this is such, such a blow away. It's such good news. All the ethnicities and across generations and across denominations. I try to imagine that. I, I love to think about, I love to think about the church being one around the world, one worldwide multi-ethnic family that as the sun rises day after day after day, we've got brothers and sisters all over the world. They don't do it like us, they do it different, but all under this confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. And when we say that, that's kind of code for saying the rule of life. Yes, that he is the incarnate son, both God and man, the mediator, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life in total dependence upon the Father, sanctifying our humanity, dying on the cross for our sins, rising on the third day by the power of God, then ascends to the right hand of the Father, and he is coming again in glory to make all things new, to bring judgment to the living and the dead. Jesus is coming again, and Jesus is our Lord. So when I say Jesus is Lord, I'm not saying less than what I just said there. And I'm certainly even actually saying a lot more than that. But that's our confession, along with the church around the world. Just that core and, and just brothers and sisters. I was in Uganda in 96, and there was two main tribes there worshiping. And uh, one tribe had all big round uh, drums, and the other tribe only had long skinny drums. I'm totally being serious. And that was the only music, and it was beautiful. You know, and that's the way they worship in that little church. And we went to a lot of different churches who didn't worship that way. But it was a cappella with drums. I'm not going to do it. So it was just awesome. And praise the Lord, you know. And we were, yeah, just worshiping our hearts out. Went on for a long time. They worship longer than we do. I don't know, hour and a half longer, maybe. It's great. It's beautiful, right? The body of Christ around the world, all the different just uh, fragrances. And there's just always more on this than we can imagine. Um, all the relationships, sharpening, just, just 
Different churches around the world, sharpening, helping, loving, serving, encouraging. It's just, and it's happening here. It's happening in Fort Worth, in the city. And there's different churches here in the city. And we're differentiated from our brothers and sisters, but we're not, we're not, uh, we're distinct, but we're not being separated from them. We're one with them. And we're not trying to be doxology. We bless doxology. We're not trying to be paradox or, you know, South Hills Baptist, you know, we're, we're just, we're, and we're going to be Antioch. Isn't that beautiful? And that's going on not just here, but around the world. But God does want us recognizing our oneness. He doesn't want us acting like we've got it all and nobody else does. It's kind of a sectarian thing that just, it's kind of, it's not good. Right? So, uh, but hey, so we're one with the church around the world, but wait, I feel like a Ron Coe commercial, but wait, there's more. <laughs> and there's a whole lot more. I, I hope your mind's about to get blown like mine was. 10 days ago, I was worshiping in Kansas City with a few, few brothers, and uh, uh, there's six of us in the room, and I, I'm, I cautiously am about to say this, we were in the spirit. I mean, we'd been praying and worshiping for a couple hours, and, and the revelation of the Lord was huge. We were talking about the church and there being one worldwide church. It was incredible. And then about that time, in the middle of all that, and I was just like, Lord. I mean, it was, it was, it was crazy. You know, one of those times you're like, this is holy ground. And I had that sense. And about that time, uh, Sean Richmond, one of the brothers in the room, read Hebrews 11, verses 40, 39 and 40. He was talking about, you know, it's the chapter on faith. They all had these promises, and, but they didn't get to see it. And so they, they, they laid down their lives. Some were martyred, and the world wasn't worthy of them, but they continued to live by faith. And in verse 39, it says, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect? And what opened up before my eyes was this phrase, only together with us. And I've been just treasuring seeing the sun rise up on our brothers and sisters around the world, around the globe. But in that moment, the revelation was that it wasn't just the church around the world that we're one with, but the church down through the centuries that we are one with. And I, I just, I dropped to my knees I mean, it was, it, it just blew me away. You know, I, I suppose I've thought about it some, but I mean, it hit me in the moment that that's how God sees his church, his body, his bride, the building, the temple, is that we are one around the globe right now, but down through the ages. Uh, it's just like, it, it, it rocked me. Only together with us. And that also means us only together with them. Are we made full and experience fullness and completeness is together with them. And so it's imperative that we learn from the past, that we glean from the, those who've gone before us. And there's all kinds of different streams that have gone before us. And yeah, somebody got off and Jim was hitting on it. Somebody blew it. Somebody messed up. But don't we? I mean, we don't have... Like some, we don't have it all together here and we mess up and we have to give each other grace. And so we have to give 
grace to those who have gone before us in history and grab the, the riches and learn from the riches that are there. Um, so it's, it's kind of cool. I kind of want to have fun with this a little bit today, this, this message, talking about the church through the centuries, uh, through time. It's, it's, it's a blow away for me, but I'm thinking about the interconnectedness, the relationships, if we'll allow our minds to expand. There are so many influences that God wants to bring to us and through us as we receive from the past, but also look forward to the future. So um, it's just the church is bigger than what we think. And if we could just maybe just say that together, the church is bigger than what we think. You know, it's like, it's, it's higher. It, it's, it's more uh, glorious than what we think. And, and so it's important to just lift our eyes up and to see, you know, read Ephesians. If you, get, you feel like you're getting down on the church, read Ephesians and get God's heart once again for the, the high glorious vision that is there. So what I'm trying to say this morning is the main thing. Finding our church in God's story is about learning to be the church. That's what we wanted to do in the, end, in the beginning. And still, we wanna be the church. We want to be the church like we read about in scripture. Uh, we want to le learn to be the church that serves God's purpose in this generation along with everybody who's gone before us. And nobody's smart enough to learn everything there is to learn, but we can be on a journey of learning and growing and not content to be the person who's figured it all out. Not content to be the person who's frumpy because everybody's doing it wrong and I'm doing it right. Um, but just growing in the joy of this. And it's not just here for us, not just in Fort Worth, the larger church in the city, and it's not just Antioch, the movement, it's not even just this time. It's all the time together, only together with us. And that's, it just, it's hitting me, the fullness that we're always talking about. There's one place you can find the fullness, it's in the church. He's head over all things for his body, which is the church, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So that fullness is not just the different streams, denominations, backgrounds, but the different ways that God's moved through time. That's what I'm trying to say. Everybody tracking on that? So, I mean, it's, it's the fullness, it's the manifold wisdom of God being put on display, his eternal purpose. So he is declaring to the principalities and powers in the heavenly realms his wisdom to bring us all together from all of these back. It just goes against everything fleshy and fallen and broken and, and all of that. He redeems it and pulls it all together. It's a beautiful it's a beautiful vision. And um, we are together, as Ephesians 1 says, the riches of his glorious, his glorious inheritance, where? In the saints, in the brothers and sisters. So you can't have a, you can't get the full picture of his glorious riches and his vision and his glory without highly valuing the church. So, here we go. Let's, let's learn some. Here's some influences from the past that uh, you'll put on your seatbelts. We're going to have fun with this. Some influences from the past. And part of what's fun for this for me is that I grew up in the churches of Christ. Now, the church of Christ 
is famous for being a restoration. It's, it was literally called the American Restoration Movement. It was Churches of Christ, Disciples of Christ, and the Conservative Christian Church. So I don't know how many people have heard of that, but, but in, in that group is not the only restoration type of movement. Restoration just means you're trying to restore something from the early church. So you're, you're restoring things. Now, the part of the, the fun part or the funny part of that is that, that if you are just identifying with that early church, you miss out on a lot of the historical stuff that you would not otherwise study because you're not, you're not trying to identify with the historical church. You're trying to identify only with the early church. When we went to church in Milan, Tennessee, my parents are watching, um, uh, the Main Street Church of Christ had a, had a little cornerstone right by the front door, and it said, this church established A.D. 33. Like, literally. And so, and that's great. I mean, and the church is established, A.D. 33, right? But, um, but um, what you miss out on that, Leonard Allen, later, uh, I read, he, he famously coined the term historylessness. And restoration people can, can lose a sense of history if you're only identifying with the first church, and yet there's a lot of other things to learn along the way. And I'll just say this about being a restoration. There's still some of that. I value that. We want to be the church like we read about in the Bible. But we also balance that by saying we're not exclusively that. I mean, which church do you want to be? Like we're going to be Corinth? There's some stuff going on there. Needs a little correction, right? Glacia, you get the point, right? So we're learning from the past. I remember I went into ministry and uh, the first book I read when I was coming out of finance world and into uh, studying for ministry was, it was called the Stone Campbell Movement. That was the American Restoration Movement. And I just remember reading about these guys. Barton W. Stone was a charismatic Presbyterian who led the Cane Ridge Revival in Kentucky. It was the Second Great Awakening. I was like, these guys are incredible. Alexander Campbell was this Baptist guy, and there was Raccoon John Smith, and he had the five-finger exercise here, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. You know, and that, like, this is how you come to the Lord. You know, and I'm like, these guys were radical, going all over the Western frontier, preaching, you know, and I was like, wow, wait, what, huh? Cool. And what I just did is a process we all need to go through again and again. You, you read new things, you learn, you, you're looking through the lens of Jesus, and you go, wait, what, huh? Cool. Jeremiah had to do that. Lots of biblical Peter. Wait, what, huh? C- cool. You know, Jesus coming out, you didn't get that from heaven. You didn't get that from man. That's right out of heaven. But you just got, wait, what, huh? Cool. Maybe that's a point. Write that down. So, so here we go. There's, yes, Lord, there is more. So Jesus disciples the 12. And John is one of the 12. John ends up writing the last New Testament documents. First, second, third John, Revelation, the Gospel of John. John then disciples Ignatius. He was the bishop of Antioch. And he also discipled Polycarp, who was the, disciple, was the bishop of Smyrna. Okay, he was martyred for his faith at the end of a long life. 
he died in the flames. Actually, the, 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 the story is that he wouldn't die in the flames and they had to kill him. And his blood put out the flames. Polycarp discipled Irenaeus. These are direct lines, it's documented. Polycarp disciples Irenaeus. Irenaeus writes all kinds of stuff defending the faith in the second century. Irenaeus disciples Hippolytus. And Hippolytus discipled Yancey Smith, (laughs) one of our former elders here in the church. I'm kidding, not kidding. So, so Yancey was immersed. He did his, his PhD is in patristics and New Testament theology, and, and he's a Greek-Hebrew guy. And, but he wrote his dissertation on Hippolytus' second-century commentary on the Song of Songs. And so that immersed him in Hippolytus. And so he would bring those riches in our conversations out into the church life. You know, and he's like, we were talking about Romans one day. I remember this just distinctly. He said, well, you know, Jamie, um, you know, Valentinius says that, that there were 75 documents. There were 75 house churches in Rome during this point in time in the second century. And I was like, no, <laughs> I didn't know that. But that is so cool. And wouldn't you expect it to be kind of like that? House churches not gathered in some, they're being persecuted, and they're, gathered, they're underground, and they're moving, and there's life flowing. I'm going to mention Constantine here, the emperor, as an influence, not so much theologically, but because he won a battle under the sign of the cross, and then he then declared the entire Roman Empire to be Christian. And so there's a lot of negative that actually flows from that and its influence into the, you know, the historic church. He did bring Nicaea together, brought the bishops together to work out some stuff, some, some uh, conflict and things that were going on with Arianism at the time. And that leads right into a, a next huge influence is Athanasius. Athanasius, one of the church fathers who basically wrote the Apostles' Creed, wrote the, the Nicene Creed. And in, when there was a lot of disagreement among the Arians in particular, there's this sect this heretical sect that was saying that Jesus wasn't God, Athanasius comes along with this phrase in the Nicene Creed, homoousius to patri. And he's basically saying that Jesus is of one being as the Father. And just, that is, that's profound. It still impacts us today. Uh, if you track, the, so he wrote some great stuff uh, on the incarnation, get it, read it. If you're gonna geek out on any theological stuff I'm gonna say today, I know some of you guys like wanna read everything. Um, this is, it took me uh, about 35 years to write this message. So just <laughs> have fun with it. Um, but the Cappadocian fathers, let me just hit on their influence. They were also writing about the same time. This is Gregory of N- N- Gregory Nazianzus, Gregory of Nyssa, and St. Basil the Great. And these guys were also taking from Athanasius, and they were also writing. And one of the things that has profoundly impacted us as a church is that they were saying that the ontological being of God is persons. At God, at his core, most basic level is the way Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has revealed him to be, that he is the revelation, that you can't say something deeper than the revelation of God as it is in Jesus Christ, who is the Son 
Son of God. The Son of the Father, always the Son of the Father. Never a time when he wasn't the Son. The Father, always the Son. But never was a time when he wasn't the Son. And they're shared love and communion together in the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Cappadocian fathers. Uh, you know, I... I, I, I um, Again, I, I may have shared this recently, but just I was over there, uh, we were doing a staff uh, joint thing with Convergence, and this girl had this word for me, said, ever since you walked in, I was in one of the prayer rooms, at the, and uh, Claire was there, and Dakota was there, and this girl walks up to me, and she goes, ever since you walked in, I just keep hearing, Gregory, Gregory, Gregory. Does that mean anything? Are you related to somebody named Gregory? I was like, oh my goodness. I'm just totally into Gregory Nanzianzas. He's one of the Cappadocian fathers. And that is so confirming. It just, that landed so heavy in my heart. Thank you for sharing that word about Gregory. She was just like, I, I, I showed her on my phone an icon of the three of them. You know, it's like, she's like, well, okay. Wow. <laughs> Crazy. How about Patrick? You know, Patrick Basically, they say the Irish may have saved Christianity. Patrick is this radical missionary, goes into Ireland, you know, in the 400s or so. Um, So again, and these are influences. This is how we got here. Christ before me, Christ below me, Christ to my right and to my left. Patrick's breastplate, no poison, no scheme of the demonic is gonna stop me from moving forward in the fullness of the power of God. Patrick, Desert Fathers, St. Anthony. And I would encourage you guys, read John Mark Comer's book, Live No Lies. He's got a bunch of stuff in there about Desert Fathers. St. Anthony's one of them. And uh, the way Comer says it, I like this. He says, there is, there's some guys that have gone out into the desert. He's speaking of Anthony's one of them. Gone out into the desert to battle the devil. And the rumor has it that they're actually winning. And so one of, one of Anthony's big deals was get a scripture and meditate on that scripture for every struggle that you're having in your life. So these are just ways that we've been uh, influenced and impacted. Benedict was, he kind of founded the monastic order and, and really, again, kind of saved the church in a way as there was so much uh, just decline happening in the, in the Middle Ages there. And uh, one of the things about Benedict, and we teach this in our discipleship school, is he created a rule of life for the for, for the monks to follow. And, and so we kind of have a rule of life as a church, and maybe we need to write it out more specifically, but we do certain things, we don't do things, and we're gonna emphasize worship and emphasize prayer and emphasize us praying and fasting and seeking God, these different practicing spiritual disciplines, on and on. So that's Benedict. Roll the clock forward to the Reformation. Martin Luther, certainly an, an, an influence on us, uh, saved by grace through faith. Uh, John Calvin, you know, uh, there's an influence there, um, and, and one of it for me is the, the trajectory of the institutes that he wrote is union with Christ. I think that is the, new t- the trajectory of the New Testament, is that we would live a united life with Jesus Christ. But my biggest impact and uh, biggest influence from the Reformation is the, uh, are the Anabaptists, the Anabaptists. And so the Anabaptists, um, they believed that the church rather than you being born into it and you're connected to the state, here we go. So the Anabaptists believe that you're, it, the church is comprised of people that are actually following Jesus. That, that sounds 
Sounds pretty right to me, actually. It's just that people are following Jesus. And so they were called Anabaptists because they rebaptized one another as adults or as believers in the Lord. And so this put them tremendously at odds with the Catholic Church and the rest of the Reformation who were killing them. I mean, literally martyring them by drowning. You wanna be baptized? Then you're gonna be baptized unto death, literally. And you can look it up, but that just so impacted me that they were willing to lay their lives down in order to be a part of the church of followers of Jesus Christ. It's just, that's huge. So the Anabaptists, huge, and, and even the statement you know, that it is, we are distinct from the state. We're distinct from the state. We, we're not gonna be co-opted by the state. Um, this, you have to maybe think through that. Um, we are under the Lordship. Not a new message around here if you're new. Jesus Christ is Lord, and we are following Jesus as Lord. First and foremost, he is our life and our Lord and our King. Um, moving the clock forward, Catholic mystics had a huge impact on us at the beginning of the church. And I'm talking about Brother Lawrence, the practice of the presence of God, you know, and like in abiding, shouldn't that just be the goal of life? Because apart from him, you can do nothing. I just, I love that. He'd have to retire, you know, from, he's cutting, he's a French monk and he's, he's cutting vegetables and he'd be so filled with the presence of the Lord, he'd have to go into a closet so that the other people didn't think he was crazy. You know, just <laughs> filled with joy. Uh, Madame Guion, you know, experiencing the depths of Jesus Christ. You can get that book. I, man, we've been so impacted. That's where I learned about praying the scriptures was through Madame Guion and reading. And just, she goes, you know, chew on the word of God. Just pray it. And think of it as like the most choice piece of meat that you've ever put into your mouth. And chew it. And then if you will, swallow it. Like, these are influences. Guion and Michael Molinas, Francis Fenelon, Julian of Norwich. You know, during the bubonic plague, she was kind of, she was in a room by herself for years, and they fed her. And I get, I, but she had some incredible revelations of Jesus and the Trinity and the love of God married to Jesus in that little room. These are people that have influenced us down through the years. How about the Moravians? So Ludwig von Zinzendorf was this, he was a, he was a nobleman from uh, Moravia, part of what would be Germany now. And, uh, and he had these uh, two groups of, of, a couple groups of people from, they were brethren uh, from the Unitas Fratrum, and they had, uh, they had been disciples of John Huss, and they were followers of Jesus, but they were being persecuted by the Catholics and by the Protestants during that time. This is the early 1700s, about 1720. And they come to uh, Zinzendorf, who'd really prepared all his life for leading this kind of a church. And this one is extra special for me because it is, it's like the one place where just in history I can go, they became a Life-giving, multiplying, reproducing, Christ-manifesting, Father's love-receiving, Holy Spirit-empowered church. They did it. They did it in one place. And so they come onto the land there with Zinzendorf, and they create a little town called Hernhut. Means uh, God's watch, something, something like that, the, the watch of the Lord. And they, they create a, a rule of life together, how they're gonna live together. And they would do 
worship at 5.30 a.m., at 8.30 a.m., at noon, and then at 8.30 p.m. again. And then they would work, they worked hard, they were artisans, and they did all kinds of stuff, but they built into their way of life worship and prayer and community and what grew out of that. On uh, excuse me, August, August uh, 13th, 1727, they had a, a communion time and they were having some disagreements in the church and everybody came to unity in that meeting. They said the Holy Spirit fell in that meeting. It was five hours and nobody could talk about what happened there. It was so holy, but they were totally changed after that point in time. Five days later, two guys, Leonard Nietzscheman and David, I'm blanking on his last name, uh, Nietzscheman, um, anyway. But these two guys said, we want to sell ourselves into slavery on St. Thomas in order to reach those slaves with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they famously ended up leaving. And one of the things that's key here about the, about the Moravians, so you've got this community, you've got, they're on mission together, and they started a prayer meeting right after that, that time there with uh, the communion time. They started a prayer meeting that lasted for 100 years and never stopped. It was around the clock. And during that 100 years, they changed the world. And put the slide up if you would. There's like a convergence of, of devotion to Jesus, devotion to one another, devotion to the mission of God. And I've just, for all these years, I've called that the Moravian intersection. And I've said, you know, I'm just restating what I want us to see is that we would live, and I'm calling it the Antioch intersection, that we would live at that place of devotion to Jesus and to the church and to the mission. Well, uh, John Wesley, came, he came in contact with some Moravians at Aldersgate. There's an Aldersgate church in London, and there they talked with him about being born again, and his heart was strangely warmed at Aldersgate Church. And he actually went to visit them in Moravia at Hernhut, and, and Wesley said, um, he said, I could gladly, August 1738, I could gladly have spent my life here. Oh, when shall this Christianity cover the earth as the waters cover the seas? And so we know John Wesley went on to ride horseback 40,000 miles, planting churches. And what he did was he did what he saw them doing in Moravia and Hernhut. He pulled people together in little groups of twos and threes. They had a little bit bigger groups of about 15. And then they would all come together in big worship times. Sound familiar? Discipleship, life group, temple courts, meeting, right? So that was, that was and, and that has been tremendously influential on us as we have this whole, you know, 29 years been a cell church where we're trying to disciple in twos and threes, go house to house and gather. There's life here because there's life in those other contexts and we're on mission together. So uh, the, that, that led to the great awakening, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, these different guys, certainly John Wesley. And then the Second Great Awakening, which I talked about earlier here on the American frontier. Uh, another influence in the 1800s was the Keswick Movement. So names to think about here. For me personally, Hudson Taylor, famous missionary to China. George Mueller, a uh, famous orphan guy in Bristol, England. Um, uh, Andrew Murray. Amy Carmichael, C.T. Studd. These are just influences 
on us from the past. The, the Keswick movement is also called the deeper life movement. And why that impacted us so much is it, it has allowed me to cross over a lot of different denominational lines because everybody, I mean, at the heart of going deeper with God is a, is a heart of saying, Lord, I'm in. I, I, I give you my life, give me yours. You know, and so it's got lots of names in the Keswick movement, but it's the deeper life it's the exchanged life. It's the surrendered life. It's the yielded life. Makes sense. It's the Holy Spirit baptized life. You know, and you can, you can actually cross a lot of different traditions if you see, oh, that's what, they're, that's, what, that's what they're doing over there. Now, they're getting a little tight on tongues, but, but I see what they're doing. It makes sense? And so, uh, yeah, Keswick, just huge. And then in the 1900s, the Pentecostal Revival, Azusa, the holiness movement that came out of that, bringing the church together, and then unfortunately the church divides again along racial lines even within that movement. It's a bummer, but influential on us. I mean, probably right now the Pentecostal movement's the fastest growing movement around the world, the Southern Hemisphere, you know, South America, Africa, huge influence by the Pentecostal uh, revival. The student volunteer movement, that students would be raised up to be sent out to the nations. That's a huge impact and influence on us. The Chinese church, Watchman Nee. I read probably 50, 60 Watchman Nee books when we first started the church. He gets a little tight on stuff, a little black and white on some things. You have to read that with discernment. I'd learned to over time. But still, watching a movement grow indigenously on, you know, because they kicked out the missionaries pretty early on. And Nee's little group, the little flock, grew, he ended up planting 500 or so churches, but now those 500 churches are the church in China. You know, the underground church, it's just, it's, it's powerful. The charismatic movement. You know, in, in a lot of this, it's good to have handles for history and things so that when people come and they wanna pin you down or somebody wants to pin me down and I'm like, whew, whew. you're charismatic. I'm like, well, I don't know. Depends on what you mean by that. Well, I mean swinging from the rafters. And, oh, no, not that, that kind, right? <laughs> but, but you just, I'm just like, open your, open your minds. <laughs> yes, okay, so uh, charismatic, the Jesus movement. I was telling Jim about this the other day. We were talking on the phone, and, and uh, he was, Jim was at UC Berkeley doing his Ph.D., uh, from 68 to 72. And I'm not gonna name that song, but if you don't know it, don't look it up, but that was that time. And uh, he said, man, the Jesus movement was for real. Like hippies coming in, just finding the Lord, radically getting their lives rocked and changed, and, change, and then going out and changing the world. So uh, the Vineyard Movement, it was real influential with me. We probably almost came close to being part of the Vineyard Movement early on. And so the quest for the radical middle is the way that movement would be described, pulling together the best of evangelical scripture, the word, and the power of the Holy Spirit and God's healing power and the kingdom power for today and all of that. So the Vineyard, hugely influential on us. Worship movements, there's been a, a number of worship movements that have just impacted us again and again and again. And, and wherever God's moving, there's gonna be fresh worship. It's just, 
you know, and so we've just been in the middle of that. I, I remember, and here's a caution. You know, a, a few years ago, there was this movie that came out, and it was just kind of dogging a lot of different movements in the body of Christ and dogging worship movements. And man, just, you know, somebody was coming and telling me about that. I was like, uh, Jesus Christ is getting glory all over the world right now. And like, we need to see that and not nitpick a couple of these little things here. And so I, I'm, I'm a, if, if you can tell, I'm like, let's look for the best in each other. And not try to get life by I'm more right than you are. My life is Jesus Christ, and he's the Lord. I'm hoping in what he's done, doing, will do, and who he is. And um, so praise the Lord. I, I don't do a lot of, uh, I've been critiqued for not doing enough rebukes. That's one of the, I've been critiqued for being too happy. For real, you're too happy. Um, um, life of a pastor. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm pointing us to Jesus. You guys know that, right? I'm pointing us to Jesus. Uh, the worship movements, the cell church movement was huge, house to house. That's how we started. That's how we're continuing. You know, it looks different. We're more mature now than we were. We're not as mature as we're gonna get. We're in process, but that's, that's huge, that we're not just doing a bunch of programs and running around crazy, we are gonna prioritize house-to-house ministry. Um, the missional church movement is that we are participating in the mission of God. I'm, and um, just bear with me here. We're, we're gonna get, I'm going a little long. But um, uh, missional church, missional church, uh, just that Jesus, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. To be in the church is to be on the mission of Jesus together. So we, there's no way around. That's how we, again, that's how we planted the church. What would we do if we were missionaries? If you get stuck in something in your neighborhood or in your life group, what would you do if you were a missionary? Punchline, you are. We are. We are that. We are missionaries together um, even right now, there's some crazy stuff going on in the movement, just with other movements. Jimmy got together with Francis Chan recently, this last fall, and Andy Bird from YWAM, and uh, uh, Michael from over at Upper Room, and they got this word about four braids of movements coming together, and then we're doing this thing called the 100 Cities Initiative, and it's to reach the 100 most unreached cities in the United States with fresh expressions of the gospel and of church and of bivocational people reaching out into, into our country. It's exciting, you know, we're, we're in it, we're, it, it it's happening. I, I was reminded a couple different times and I just, uh, this morning how important martyrs have been in my own journey. I, I didn't know there was a martyr in the 20th century until I was in ministry, nobody ever told me. I never knew that. I picked up a copy of The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and I read in that introduction that he'd been hung by the Nazis in 1945, and it brought me to tears. I was like, like he died for Jesus. And I'd never had anybody tell me, like, you can lay down your life for Jesus. And that led to a journey of, you know, the voice of the martyrs and finding out that more people had been killed last century for Jesus than in the 19 centuries before that. Like, and I was like, I remember 
the first time, I, just this morning, it's all coming up. I remember loving my little brother and little sister so much that I had this thought, I would die for you. And that was a new thing. I never had a thought I would die for somebody. But then I realized it, it led on to thinking, I, I, Lord, I'm in. And I will not deny you. By your grace, I won't deny you. I'm in, Lord. And uh, I could just keep the kingdom of God being expressed through the different spheres of connecting. We talk about this, of connecting the gospel with doing stuff, making things right, justice. We just had a phenomenal uh, meeting the other night uh, for Unbound. I, I, preacher count was 800. I, 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 what, is that close? It was hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of people gathered together and leaning in and hearing about the power and what, what God's doing through the justice ministry of Unbound. Just powerful. Um, okay, so all of these movements represent uh, streams of God's story, the river, people and movements converging along together with theology. And I just throw out some names that have been influential in my own journey. Bonhoeffer, Karl Barth, T.F. and J.B. Torrance, N.T. Wright, on and on, Leslie Newbigin, uh, Richard Hayes, Stanley Hauerwas, Greg Boyd, John Piper, Scott McKnight, Dallas Willard, he's with the Lord, Richard Foster, James K.A. Smith, Esau McCauley, Carolyn Custis James, Beth Allison Barr, Eugene Peterson, Baxter Kruger, John Mark Comer, and this week it's been Derwin Gray. He's been my conversation partner as I'm listening and reading his new book, um, Something About the Racial Divide, How to End the Racial Divide. It, I don't think I'm hitting that exactly right, but that's, that's that book. And so then you blend the conversations with mentors from the past, with mentors from the current, present time, and you get a rich variety of, of life happening uh, in, in and with us together. Conversations and dialogues, submitting to the headship of Jesus and saying, Lord Jesus, lead us. And this, again, this may be more than, you know, you like, wow, okay, that's a lot of, a lot of stuff for a Church of Christ guy that didn't know there was history or didn't know there was martyrs. Um, praise God. So some ways we walk this out. I realized a couple things in writing this stuff down. Um, I've always wanted to, when somebody's trying to pin me down, I wish I could, I don't have the, the, the thing yet, but you're, you're that, or you're that, or you're that, and I wanna go, I'm an Anabaptist, Trinitarian, Orthodox, Catholic, mystic, John Wesley, holiness, Moravian, Towton, uh, Keswick, Second Great Awakening, Holy Spirit, Deeper Life Movement, Pentecostal, Charismatic, Vineyard, Missional Church, uh, Cell Church, uh, I love Jesus and want to follow him with his people, kind of guy. <laughs> and I realized a couple of things. I'm telling you some of what I see, but it's not the whole. You know, it's only together that we're the whole, together, and not just us here, but in the city, and around the world, and, and through time. That's been my, we're differentiated, we're not them, but we're also not isolating from them. They're not us, and that's okay. But together with us, there's so much more. We're made complete together with them. We are 
interrelated and connected relationships of relationships of relationships. It's like quantum theory, really. So quantum theory, subatomic particles actually change path, the path that they're on when they're observed by someone. So when they're observed, when they're in relationship with someone observing, they actually change. And every single one of us changes when we're observed, when we're living life together. You know, I'm better than I was or would have been without being in relationship with the church. That makes sense? So we're, we're a quantum theory church or something. I don't, uh, don't want to make too much out of that, but, but we're, t- we're together with them. They are, so it makes sense together with us that they're the witnesses that are cheering us on. You can do it. You can do it, Randy Brown. You can do it. Keep going. Run the race marked out for you. Run the race, Pam, marked out for you. Let's throw off stuff that's hindering us and entangling us. And let's run the race that God has marked out for us. The church intersects and relates and there's mentors around and relationships. And that's why we prioritize discipleship, life groups, and the one another's that we do together. So I know I'm in training mode here, but just, man, this is so important. We keep our eyes on Jesus and we live this life out in mission, on mission together and that's, that's kind of how it happened. I mean, even in the sermons, I, I needed probably more sermon planning input on this one. You, they just said, go shorter. <laughs> but we do it in community from, I'm not gonna say, from, from older down to in the 20s. <laughs> and, and we've got a gal on there and we've got, we've got different ethnicity on there. And it just, there's a better full presentation that comes because we're together you know so you, every, any sermon you're hearing up here who it's me or somebody else there's it, we didn't get it on our own we got it together with others and I see this thing we were talking in life group the other night promise God's made some promises they get endangered and then the, we get the promise again that then brings hope. And it's like the word last week. There's imagination, then we experience. Oh, that's not like what I thought it was gonna be like. There, there's more. Then we reimagine, and that leads to faith in our lives. You know, so that process is going on and on and swirling around us. And if we will stay humble and hungry, we'll rock the world. If we'll stay humble and hungry. I, you know, my dad and the Lord, Don Fento, would say to me, Jamie, I don't want you, it's like, it's like grabbing my shoulders in the spirit with a big smile and the, and the, because he's airbrushed, because he looks like Jesus all the time, the glamour shot. He's like, Jamie, I don't want you to out-radical me for Jesus. Say it with a big smile. And I just thought, man, I wanna be like that. I, I wanna grow older and keep going for God. And not be outright, you know, not in a competitive kind of way, like, oh, you did more. No, just but like be stirred up. I want, I want young people around. I want to keep growing in God. Don was literally on the stage last Saturday at the Send, 50,000 students, and he was the one they chose to invite them back for the next Send in 2023 at the big football stadium in Nashville, Tennessee. The chat's blowing up. I'm watching it. The chat's blowing up like, he doesn't look 92. He just said, I'm 92, and I want to invite you to the next send in Nashville, you know, and he doesn't. 
you know, and may we walk with Jesus in a way that keeps us fresh and vital and growing. I'm, I'm done. Um, I want to highlight the, the Moravians one more time, just to say, what if we did this? What if we lived out the Christ, the church, the mission intersection with worship and prayer? What if we lived at that place? If we live at that place, we change the world. It is just, we, we change the world. And it doesn't have to be something somebody's writing about or somebody gets famous. I, who, you know, we're laying down our lives. And it's not about me and it's not about us or even this church, but it is about Jesus. And it's about him getting glory on the earth. What if we could live right there at the intersection of Christ and the church and the mission? Lord, help us. Let's stand up. And um, if you're visiting, I, I will say this is an aberration. I, I've gone a little longer than we normally go, and, but I just, this, this is a big message and hopefully uh, in, encourages you to hear some of these influences and how we walk this out. Now, at the end of this message, if the ministry team would come on up as well, because I, I, for anybody that can stay, um, I, I think there's an invitation here, an invitation to say, Lord, I want to walk with you. Jesus, I want to walk with you. Lord Jesus, I want to go for it. And if you've never really done that, then come and get prayer and start that journey. If you need to be baptized and say, Lord, I am all the way in, death to myself and exchanging for your glorious life. If you need to be baptized, we'll arrange that. Uh, and, and also, there's an invitation here for just everybody to, to say, yes, Lord, I'm in. I mean, it stirs me up even as I'm just rehearsing some of the influences from the past. And there's, there's calibration there. Lord, I, there's repentance I need in my own heart to align with what you've shown me. Maybe some seeds have gotten stolen through our busyness, through our worries, through our cares. The things get pulled out of our lives and the Lord wants us to go deeper with him. So the first invitation is jump in. The jump in. And the second invitation is about pain. If we've experienced pain or wounds or hurts, and especially, for, I'm casting a big vision here for the church, but if you've been hurt by the church, what do you do? You know, staying isolated and judging, it just doesn't work. So what we do is we, we take a step toward the Lord and we say, Lord, give me grace. And he has to forgive others as you've forgiven me. That's just a great word for all of us. Just forgive. Somebody comes up this morning, just pray, just forgive. Lord, help me to forgive them and bless them in the name of Jesus. Get in relationship with others. Don't stay isolated. And then the last piece is to run the race. I'm going to read from Hebrews 12. So only together with us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that, so, that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So Lord, uh, meet us today in this place. I just pray for grace for our entire church and everybody that's connected, Lord, to run the race, to not give up, to not to just to go over the story, 
again and again. Even as we find our own church in the story, help us to find ourselves in that story as well. We love you. Okay, so let's pray. Invitations here. Jump in. Get healing. Run the race. Amen. Let's respond to the Lord.